The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody. Skull, it's issue 173 for the week of December 28th, 2017. We are your weekly new comic day audio digest. And we are brought to you, not exactly live, but technically alive, from Ann Arbor, Michigan. My name is Rachel Polk. I'm joined by Marcus Schwimmer. Hello, Rachel Polk. Hi. Hi. How are you? I am doing wonderful. I have the week off work. Oh, yeah? So I am well rested. Mm-hmm. I got rid of the... I put some cucumbers on my eyes last night. Yeah, you look... Um, got, got rid of my cucumber eye? Your eyes are kind of glowing. Yeah. Like a like ominous, like, please help me. Somebody has risen me from the dead kind of way. Right. Yeah. Is that what cucumbers do? Yeah. So they're a tool for necromancy. Exactly. That's right. exactly... I, I, I put them on and then I ground them up and put them in my eyes. And now oh. I feel great. We're also joined by Curtis Sullivan. What's up, you dudes? How you doing? I'm doing so great. I'm just in my post-holiday bliss, my yeah. glow. I'm yeah. still feeling it. The cookies are coursing through my veins. I see that you wore your pajamas today. I did. Yes. I haven't taken them off. They look very comfy. They're really nice. Yeah. I recommend just going pajamas. Now, I have to wonder, are these like regular pajamas or are they assless chaps? These are, uh, this is a onesie. Oh, They okay. do have the butt flap. Ah, that's So that when is. I want to, you know, go to the restroom, I just, uh, I don't have to take it off. I just release the flap. For ultimate warmth. You got to figure whoever invented that flap. Very smart. Smart dude. Yeah. Or lady. Or lady. Could have been a lady. You yeah. know, they uh, are concerned about your warmth and your comfort, and I appreciate that. So, like, all that needs to happen now is you need to get a heated toilet seat, and then you're just warm all the time. You know? It mo- doesn't matter if you take off the flap. That There you go. Uh, well, gentlemen, yeah. as you can tell, I'm not Nick, who is our usual host. Oh. We, we traded we traded the old model in for a new one. Yes! Finally. So, so he's gone. I don't know if he's ever coming back, but um, when Nick's away, the gang gets to play. If he's smart, he will never return. I don't know. I, I think he went somewhere warm. He didn't really tell us where he was going. He just said, fuck you guys, and left in a hurry. It was odd that we were all like, hey, Nick, where are you going? And he was like, fuck you. I yeah. Didn't, and then he just left. I didn't hear he was on vacation until I saw a little a notification that, hey, I, I'm gone as of three days ago. Right. It was so. very bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. But we hope that he is relaxing. He's one of the hardest working dudes we know. He but is, yes. we're very happy to trade him in for Rachel Pole. Well, how was your guys' holiday? It was the best Christmas time that I've had in mm-hmm. years. I got all my family together, and we had a no cell phone rule this year because I'm an old man, and I'm sick of everybody looking at their stupid <laughs> phones while we're trying to hang out. You're such a dad. I know. We woke <laughs> up literally at 8 o'clock in the morning. We started off with Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Ooh. which is a great opener. It's not really a holiday movie, but it's it's a good feels movie. Yeah, it's about family. It's a family time movie. And then we played board games all day. I made my mom play board games. I had Liz's mom play board games. Your Liz wife? is my wife. Mm-hmm. It was the best. Do you have any strange family traditions for holidays? Not really. No, mm-hmm. no. No, we just eat like crazy. We don't eat traditional foods. This year was pretty regular. It was just like meatloaf and mashed potatoes. But sometimes we get weird with the food. Yeah. But no, but no, not really. Marcus. It's no. not very yeah, exciting. My family, uh, before Christmas dinner, someone, it's randomly decided who you don't get to know beforehand, but the the the, the 
elders of the family will get together and uh, nominate someone to give a toast before dinner, which I think is kind of a weird tradition. So instead of well, like it seems pretty. saying grace or anything like that, we so well, someone gives a toast, but you get no prep time to give oh. this toast. They just let you know when it's time to make the pre-dinner so toast. So how drunk are you by the time that this, so that I, this has to I happen? I got nominated this year uh-huh. to give the toast. And I was I had been drinking for most of the day at that point. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think it's a nice tradition. I hope that I, I would like to see the skill and the art of toast giving come back. Let me ask you this, yeah. Marcus. Hi. Did you you were had your drink on a little bit? I did. Did you get you're a real softy mm-hmm. in your old heart cockles? Yep. Did you bust any uh, tears while you're giving the speech? Did I, you get Did I, you get sentimental? That's a yes. I would no. I wish that I did. I just was so nervous because you know your whole family is there. What, what's the size of your gathering? It was a, it was a fairly large gathering. I mean, you are a German family. Correct? Yeah, my parents are about the ninth of ten. Oh, so I, I come from a large clan. Yeah. Mm. But you you know you have to give you this toast, and I just tried to keep it to the point, short and sweet. But then ended with a loud and resounding cheers. I see. But I recommend that every family does a toast at least twice a year. A rando toast. Roll a 20-sided die. That's right. <laughs> Everybody, highest roll wins. So, actually, I would like to make that a toast game for, actually, that's a really good idea. For, like, New Year's, have a toast game. You write down, you have everybody write down a bunch of random ideas, and you pick, a, you draw lots for who has to give the toast, and then you pick one of these ideas out of the hat, and you have to make a toast of whatever that is. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. The art of toast giving. That's my resolution for 2018. My New Year's resolution is I would like to become a better toast giver. A toast master, I would, if you will. Yes, I would love to become a toast. Well, that sounds wonderful. That implies that you're going to have more opportunities to, uh, to toast, I'm just gonna which come is to, always great. Just come to your you house know? and toast your family off. All right, so the resolution <laughs> for, for Marcus for 2018 is become a toaster. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, gentlemen, I yes. say we start talking about comic books because we are actually a comic book podcast. You know. If anybody's we left. We do the things. We're going to start now. Thanks for uh, sticking with us. (laughs) Thanks for not turning off your podcast app. Anyway, here's the news. So if you're listening to the podcast last week, you know that Marvel announced a large number of cancellations of its titles. I wouldn't say if you listened to the podcast last week. I'd say if you keep up with comics if in you know, general yeah if you're yeah. if you're listening to comic book news um marvel announced they call it, they've been calling it the christmas calling of 2017 that is a very depressing thing to call it yeah. and uh the kind of the big theme over this is that marvel has been canceling books that either have lbgtq uh characters or um characters that are not white and this also extends into their creative teams marvel is yes. known for being a very white male workforce but out of these books they have again been getting rid of creators writers and artists who are part of the lbgtq community or are not white people um and this is continued into this week with um marvel announcing that they are getting rid of mariko tamaki's she hulk which is one of my favorite comic books that marvel's doing right now um so yeah huge bummer we're just extending the list we're just doubling down on old white superheroes Um, And it's kind of a bummer. So my hope is that Marvel is going to come out with a bunch of announcements that these characters are going to get relaunched into new titles and new series. But I just I I have seen nothing to indicate that. Yeah. Um, And, you know, to Marvel's credit, they are 
trying a lot of books. You know, they are putting these books out there, I think, at a greater rate than a lot of other publishers. For sure. So that's cool. Um, Joe Casada has some interesting things to say about this. And I think this ties into something we talk about a lot on this podcast. Who's Joe Casada? Joe Casada is the ex-editor-in-chief at Marvel Comics. He was there for many, many years. He's a very prolific comic book writer. He's very active in the comic book world. But yeah, Marvel's done some weird stuff lately, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, but also we should, like I'm saying, it's a shame that a lot of these really cool kind of lower profile books uh, with, you know, second tier characters are getting canceled. It's a huge yeah. bummer. She-Hulk is a very good comic book. Well, yeah, it is. And we, Bruce Banner died in Civil War II, the, uh, the big event of last year. And so now we have had a run with his cousin as Hulk. And his cousin happens to be a lady, and it's been a great series. Uh, Jane Foster has been Thor for the last couple years. It seems that they're leading up to kill her off as well and bring Mm -hmm. Thor back. So I agree that we had a little pocket of time and where Marvel was trying some really cool things. It just seems that the waterfalls are coming, and a lot of these characters are either going to get replaced with their older kind of counterparts or they're just going to kill them off. And that's a huge bummer because we just got off three years of great comics. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the reason that that three years was great was because they had a brand new, diverse, um, both kind of nationality-wise and gender-wise group of people. I still think Marvel and DC have a giant leaps to go to represent the LBGTQ community because that's very little of that. But um, damn, Marvel, stop killing off these great characters you spent the last three years building up. Now, in your guys' semi-professional view, mm-hmm. yeah. do you think that this is because of toxicity within the fan base? Or do you think that it's because of the publication? Do you think, because there are a lot of the fan base who say, hey, this is not the superhero that I grew up with. This is not the superhero that I know. This is not my Captain America. I think I think that's a component, but I think it's a tiny component. I think sales are real, and, and Marvel is looking at those numbers. Marvel's intent would never be, right, to put out a book and then cancel it because it's overperforming, right? It, yeah. There, there's some real practical reasons that these books aren't, you know, surviving, and profitability is definitely a large consideration, sure. right? That said, this is emblematic of comics and what is wrong with the industry. Mm-hmm. Diamond, the pre-ordering system, marketing, we've talked about that in the show before. And people talk about it all the time. If people don't know about these books, how can they buy them? Sure. Exactly. You know, if you're already in a comic store, you're going to find out about She-Hulk. You're going to find out about Hawkeye. If you're not already a comic reader, if Marvel's not telling you about these books, who is? So, yeah. you know, Marvel, get out there. And, and you you had the – you thought these books were good enough to publish. You hired these people. You put these books out. You solicited them for shops to order. Now put in some money and market the hell out of these yeah. good these good books and don't let them die too young. A lot of these books are dying before there's there's even one trade paperback. So that's my thing is like it, it's like planting something. You put a seed in, there's a part where it's not very profitable, you're not pulling yields off of it, and then you grow it though. You let it grow into something that can produce something. Yeah. And we're, we're not letting these books get there. We're we're plucking them before they can bear fruit and yeah. and that's a real bummer. So let's move on to something a little bit more on the creative side of comic books. Max Landis, who is um, he's a writer for Marvel and DC. He's uh, his one of his most recent popular works was Superman American Alien, which was a giant 
kind of sleeper hit. That was a, yeah. that was in a the, great in the book. D- it was. In the DC universe. And then he also, was it Image Comics that he wrote Green Valley for? It was. Yeah, so that was also like pretty, that was a pretty good high fantasy book. Um, this gentleman, Max Landis, has been uh, called out on Twitter for sexual assault allegations. He Yeah, so th- the reason that this is now, I guess, kind of coming to light is he is the writer for the Netflix movie Bright, which just came out. I'm sorry, what is this movie? And I've never seen an advertisement right. for it. It's, 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 there's advertisements for it everywhere, but it's a fantasy movie uh, that Netflix, it's Netflix's biggest budget production to date. Um, starring William Smith. Starring Will Smith. But but Max Landis is is the writer for this. So as this movie has been coming out, and as Netflix has been doing a ton of promotion for it, uh, a number of women and dudes have come out and said that this guy is kind of a known sexual harasser. Mm-hmm. Um, so the interesting thing that comes out of this when it relates to comics is DC did a holiday special two weeks ago, about two weeks ago, before and your before, big pick of the week, yeah, it was my before big, Christmas. Before Christmas and before all this kind of came to light via social media, and in the print version of the DC Holiday Special, they pulled the Landis story out of it. And the way that we know that is that when they released the digital version, the Landis story was in it. They forgot to pull it. Yeah. They have since pulled it. So what people are starting to wonder is: Did DC Comics have pre knowledge that Landis was getting accused of sexual allegations, um, and that's why they pulled it? Because this dude was very popular in the DC Comics community. He wrote a banger hit last year. So if DC is pulling his stories before it is widespread knowledge, or at least become publicized that he is being accused of sexual assault, then you know they didn't say anything, they didn't fire him, he yeah. still has a book on the docket for them that has not been pulled well, yet. Well, we don't know. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. We don't know what's happening. We should say... Right. Well, he, I mean, his his Batman book, or Superman, Agent of Batman, is listed yeah, that is as still... being a book that's still coming out. Yeah, but, you know, yeah, we should say right. uh, DC might have done the cool thing. A, a lot of this is speculation at this point. We should throw that out there. But, because this, you know, they did pull this story, which is kind of cool. They pulled it from one of the two ways you could get it. Yeah, yeah it, you know, and potentially made a mistake on the digital totally. release, right? So that's, you know, so we should... So, we should say that. But we should also remember that DC has kind of been hit by this lately in uh, November. Um, who was it? it was BuzzFeed posted an article about one of their editors uh, yes. who was a giant shit piece and definitely um, had suits filed against him for sexual misconduct from his employees, the people who were under him. And they... They knew about these because they happened in the mid two thousands, um, and they did nothing. These these suits had been actually filed, and nothing happened until BuzzFeed posted this article about him, and it was very revealing. And he got fired because of that. And, and so this is my argument: is that even if they did pull the comic, which is absolutely the right thing to do, yes, mm-hmm. and uh, is that DC is a little bit under the microscope right now because yes. of these allegations that have come out about their corporate culture and what they allow and what they don't allow. Right. So if they and did, they should be. I don't. Yeah. To, I, I should say that I'm not standing up for these guys. I'm just so, saying, you know, maybe there is some some change happening. And, and there is, but I think mm-hmm. the proper thing to do would have been to pull the article and then come out and say, this, this is, is why we mm-hmm. pulled this article, and it's we don't support. This. Yeah. Instead, they pulled the article. All this stuff came out, and now DC is once again back under the light mm-hmm. because they still released his book in digital format. Um, 
And it's a little bit of a bummer. Yes. And so it's more than a little bit of a bummer. It's not the proper way to handle this situation. Yeah. So I hope that comic book companies are taking note of what is happening at DC and saying that this is unacceptable and the fan base finds this unacceptable mm-hmm. and people are going to respond with their wallets because that's the only way you can respond to companies like this. Yep. And, and and get their shit together. Yeah. Uh, we, we, Max Landis wrote a great comic book. We don't need this dude in comics that bad, though. So we can just let him go. For sure. I mean, there are there are other people that are way better. Totally. <laughs> and he wrote a very mediocre movie. Um, and and we should we should state that these allegations that have been coming forward these are they have not been vetted yet. Um, they have not been fact checked. They are simply people on Twitter saying this happened. Which, like, we should absolutely take that seriously. Of we course. should not dismiss those just because it's something that exists on Twitter. Um, but as of right now, nothing has gone through the HR department. Nothing has gone through any police reports, anything like that, as, that we know of. That being said, this dude has some very upsetting views on women. And it's he just and they are out there and they are on the record. This guy has yes. said some very troubling things. It's a bummer. And uh, hopefully comic companies take start taking this stuff seriously. So we're going to end the news in a new segment. A new segment. A brand new segment. Man, Nick's not here for one week, and you just start changing everything. I know. I'm going to add a new segment. and It's it's called Only in Florida. Oh, God. Only in Florida. This week, Only in Florida, IDC, uh, Comic and Toys, was robbed on Christmas Day. Uh, the store is devastated after thousands of dollars of key issues. A number of graphic novels were stolen. Um, come on, Florida. Don't don't rob people on Christmas. Just take take Christmas it's off, off. criminals. Yeah. One day, it, just take a break. In all seriousness, if you live in the greater Florida area, we know we have some listeners down there. Um, IDC Comics has been hit hard over the holidays. Uh, we wish everyone to have a wonderful holiday season, and they so they were taken advantage of for being closed. Yeah. So if you're in the Florida area or you like to buy comics online from time to time, check out their website. And let's send some money to these dudes because no one should be broken into on Christmas. Yeah, that's just terrible. It's Bummer, sh- man. Yeah. Also, they if if you are a uh, frequent buyer of comics on like eBay and stuff like that, like if you like to get old key issues, um, a lot of the stuff that was taken were graded comics. They were in the certified sealed um, containers, and they have posted a public list uh, with serial numbers of all the things that were taken. So keep an eye out for that, and it would help these guys a lot. Because yeah. this is shitty. Comics have had a hard year. We don't need comic shops getting broken yeah. into. So that's IDC Comics and Toys. You can look them up online. Only in Florida. Only in Florida. <laughs> Let's move on to things that are brighter and happier and cheerier and full of joy. You know, the things that are not Florida. The Big Pigs. <laughs> There's any number of odd New Year's resolutions that we make that we will not complete. Every year we do it, hundreds of them. We just, Curtis and I run around and we make resolutions for one another. But And I never think of them again. Never think of I them again. I just make the list yep. and then I immediately throw that list away. Absolutely. But the ones that we do complete are like the big picks, the best ones. Every week we pick the greatest comics to come out that week and we present them to you. Here we go. 
Curtis, would you like to start with Doomsday Clock? I will. I'll start with Doomsday Clock, the controversial Doomsday Clock. Wait, why is it controversial? It's not really. I just yeah, wanted okay. to say that. This is the second issue. It's not a number one. It's a number two. And you know what I might do? Depending on how fucking sweet this comic is, I might pick every issue of Doomsday Clock for all 12 issues oh my as God. my big pick. Why? Because it's that good. Issue number one, loved it. It was a little dour. It was a little like straight up Watchmen. I felt like I was reading a direct sequel to Watchmen. It was crazy. I was not expecting it. The second issue, the plot starts moving. Shit starts happening. Lex Luthor's on the cover looking awesome. So what is the plot of Doomsday Clock? Well, here we go. I'm gonna, we're going to truncate this. We're going to keep it small. Dr. Manhattan... One of the main characters of Watchmen, he's this blue being who is a god. He can manipulate That's all That's too big for me. Make reality. it smaller. I'm going to make it even smaller <laughs> for you. This dude can do whatever he wants. He walks around with no pants on with his just his wiener hanging out all the time. This is how no, powerful he is. No, he wears briefs. Occasionally he will wear, wear some there, briefs. There's a comment in there where somebody says, hey, nice briefs. Yeah. In the original Watchmen, no briefs. Just, just wang right up there. Anywho, this guy's a god and... We have learned that he has manipulated the time of the DC Universe. The, the fabric of all time of the DC Universe has been changed. We've lost maybe five or ten years. So a few years ago, DC did the New 52 reboot, which we've talked about. It's a big old continuity reboot. And then they stopped that, and now they've done Rebirth. So there's a lot of rebirthing and New 52-ing, and it's really confusing. Why did it all happen? Maybe it's Dr. Manhattan, the space god. Because he's a dick. But maybe it's not him. We don't know all the answers yet. What we do know is that Rorschach is, is back. He's one of the original Watchmen characters. Ozymandias is back. The smartest man, the self-proclaimed smartest man in the world is back. Yeah, he's, and, he's a bit of a cocky dick. He, th he? he thinks he knows it all. I'm the smartest man on my planet. He, he tells Lex Luthor that in this comic. Yeah. And it is hilarious because Lex Luthor is like, fuck you, my man. Yeah. It's great. Um, so these guys uh, decide they're going to find out where John is, that's Dr. Manhattan, and they're going to make him account for all this shit that he's done. So in a nutshell, that's Doomsday Clock. Superman is involved. There's this theory in the back matter that if you didn't read the last couple pages of this book, they're fake news articles that talk about maybe the U.S. government is responsible for metahumans, period. Mm -hmm. Why are of the bulk of superheroes American? Because maybe the U.S. government's been making them. So this is a big That's pretty interesting. continuity change for D.C., massively different than what we've heard in the past. I got to say, from a, from a construction standpoint, this is how you do comics. It's big. It's obtuse. It's almost impenetrable to an outsider. Like you're not a comics dork. You're going to have to spend hours on Wikipedia, read the original Watchmen, read the DC Rebirth hardcover trade, uh, maybe even go and read in Infinite Crisis and Multiversity. So there's a lot of homework to do to, to approach this comic book. Is that how we should do comics? Well, we can talk about that in one second. I just want to say that when... This comic is drawn by Gary Frank. It's mm -hmm. written by Jeff Johns. Jeff Johns is, like I think, the nerdiest and best DC comics writer for core, continuity-based, heavy DC shit. So he's, he's, just, he's responsible for the DC TV shows happening. He is. Yes. He's now executive producer on the films. He's done a lot of their big crossovers. He's relaunched a lot of their old characters, Hawkman and mm -hmm. stuff like this. So he, he's steeped in DC lore. I love him. Gary Frank, the artist on this book, draws characters that actually have emotion. They feel 
if you if you read this comic too fast, you're gonna miss physical cues from characters in this comic book. The characters in this comic are actors and they are performing at the behest of Gary Frank. It's very fucking cool. The nine panel layout's very, very cool. That said, Marcus, to your question. Yeah, I mean, so you just listed off a giant thing, a giant list of trade paperbacks yeah. that we should read if we want to start to understand the, the the smallest nuances of what the fuck is going on in That's this like book. That's like $200 worth of books. That's true. Yeah. So, look, I read this book. I thought there were some good moments in it. Um, I just think this is a bad move by DC Comics to put out a book like this right now. This is the most lore-heavy book I've ever seen DC come out with, which also means that it's the most inaccessible book. It, it's I, so, I read a ton of DC. Yeah, I've read Watchmen. I've read most of the books that you just listed off. There were big chunks of this book where I didn't know what the fuck was going on. I do a comic book podcast. Yeah, like I am a big nerd, but is what is? Well, there's no I, excuse. You should have got it this. It just doesn't make sense to me that DC is even making this book. Should have came out as either like a mini series or just release it all in a trade paperback or a big beautiful hardcover. This is not what DC should be doing right now for a book that it's not. It's not even mildly accessible. It's not, I and that's a that. huge bummer. Because we want to get we want to get more people in the comics, and you know we always say you don't round you don't circle the wagons. That's not a good business tactic. Yeah, this is absolutely circling the wagons. I don't agree. This is for the I don't agree. This is for the people who are only allowed to sit in the fire pit in the middle of the circled wagons. It's not even for everyone who circles the wagons. <laughs> yeah, but this that said, and I agree with you one hundred percent. This book is not for newbies, or if somebody's wants to take on that huge commitment of reading 10 other graphic novels and, and, and going that route, it's awesome. But I think this book is perfect for the old schools. This is the most fun I'm having in comics right now with this second issue. I am chomping at the gift horse for issue three after the end of this. As a long time, as a, you know, but this is coming from a dude who's been reading DC Comics for 40 years. And that is why. That's who this book is for. Or it's for people who are ready to just take this crazy plunge, which is very few. It's no this, one. This is way more inaccessible than, like, say, even their other crossover they're doing right now, Dark Knight's Metal, totally. which is a hot mess and it's a million characters. But you could still have fun with it because it's like, you know, fights and crazy, yeah. you know, slap dash. Yeah, there's a bunch of dinosaurs and laser guns and shit. Yeah. You know, so people could read that. You would still have fucking questions and it's still intense. Yeah, but it's a lot more of, like... Well, that's a dinosaur floating through space. I I guess I'll go with well, it. And yep. with metal, they've they've put out these little one shots that are, t even if you don't know what's going on in that characters, they're fun little one shots that give you a yep. general idea of what's going on. That's a great way to do it. My problem with this is that with Rebirth, this big relaunch that they've done, this Watchmen story has been at the heart of it from the beginning, and it looks like they're gearing up to change DC continuity in a pretty big way. And when you do stuff like that, it alienates people who are reading these I, books. I think there's room in the market, especially with DC's publishing schedule right now, for a book like this. I think overwhelmingly DC is super accessible right now with Rebirth. I could give somebody Super Sons Volume 1. I could give somebody Superman Volume 1, Batman to Tom King Volume 1s. There is a million volumes. The Green Lantern. I mean, there's yeah. DC right now I think has a pretty accessible for comic books, there's always going to be questions, right? So I, I love listening to you guys argue. It actually yeah. brings me a lot of joy. <laughs> nice. Um, and, and I actually do agree with you there. Yeah. Rebirth, I think, is completely accessible. But what we're talking about is Doomsday. 
this series, I agree with Marcus wholeheartedly, it is not accessible whatsoever. Um, that being said, like, I enjoyed it. I'm, there, I, there were some really cool parts of it. I am losing my mind. This is as close as to a, a perfect comic book as I have read. Seriously, oh my. I'm not kidding you. I from a just the way it's built, the way it's drawn, the way it's laid out, just the deep, deep threads throughout the history of these rich characters. I gotta say, I agree with you 100. Don't you can't just walk into this book, but I would love somebody to come into the comic shop and be like, I want to read Doomsday Clock. Let's go yeah, and just start yeah. piling books in their hands. Because you're a retailer and you have to sell them five hundred dollars <laughs> worth of so, books. I want people to read comics. I though, hear dude. no. I hear you. I hear you. I just so so. Let's just summarize this book by saying: if you are the hardcore nerdy ass motherfucking comic book lover, absolutely get this book because there's some really cool shit in there. It's gonna like. It's kind of call home a lot of the things that like you probably grew up with and a lot of the things that you're familiar with and hold dear to you. If you are newer to comics, if you have not maybe read a lot of those things that Curtis mentioned earlier. Maybe or any not, of them. Maybe not the best place to start, but it might still be enjoyable to you. Anyway, like I said, I do love listening to you guys argue. Uh, it brings See, it so much joy to my, conversation. Yeah, I agree. To I don't think that was an argument heart. at all. Yeah. That's, um, that's my big pick. It's uh, Doomsday Clock number two from DC Comics. Lex Luthor, fucking awesome in this book. That's all I'm saying. Batman, fucking awesome in this comic. And that's my big pick. Nice. Um, Marcus, yes. would you like to regale us with the tale that is your big pick? I would love to. This week I picked uh, Phoenix Resurrection number one, mm-hmm. Marvel Legacy, The Return of Jean Grey. Curtis, you're making that? a noise with my lenticular cover. That is a terrible noise. Please stop. Yeah, it comes with one of those great lenticular covers that everyone is... Hot to trot about. So I'm going to start out by saying the X-Men books the last couple months have really put me in a bummer mood. Um, They relaunched two X-Men titles, X-Men Gold, X-Men Blue, hearkening back to the older days of X-Men when there were two X-Men series. Um, I do love Astonishing X-Men. I think that is on point and cracking. Fair enough. I will say that. But I I, I thought both of those series were kind of a letdown, and I was juiced for them. Because growing up, I really did enjoy the X-Men. They were the the series that I... um, grew up with and fell in love with and all that. So, uh, out of all of my childhood uh, X-Men memories, the one that sticks with me the most is the original Phoenix saga, where Jean Grey becomes the Phoenix and fucks everyone up. Oh my goodness. That is like one of my favorite comic book story arcs, just across the board. And... uh, I love watching a powerful woman just fuck up the earth. It it's such an intense <laughs> and story. And everything. In, in my yeah. memory, it's just such a heavy, crazy story. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, and and I, I refuse to reread it because I want it to hold that place in my mind forever. You should re- I reread it a couple years ago. It holds up. Oh, good. It's That's actually few- very good to know. So this book is written by Matt Rosenberg. Uh, this dude you might know from the Boom, or sorry, Black Mass Studios books, Four Kids Walk Into a Bank. We Can Never Go Home. He also wrote Kingpin for Marvel. Mm. He did some other works. But what I like about this dude is he is rooted in independent small press comics. Yes. Uh, but as of late, he has been dabbling into the, the larger scheme of things. But I like the way he writes because I think he's kept true to his indie roots. The book is illustrated by Linnell Francis Yu. And uh, you may know him from New Avengers. He's done X-Men books. He worked on Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four run. You know, the best Fantastic Four that you cannot find anywhere. He he did Civil War 1 also. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Not 2. No, 1, yeah. Um, So the premise of this is 
there are some kids in a small town. It's probably the Midwest. It's maybe the Midwest. And they are approached by, they while they are out riding their bikes, they find a child in the streets who is bleeding. Um, they are approached by a woman with black eyes. And then the next thing, the X-Men are alerted and they go there and the kids are kind of in a coma state and they are just levitating. But the X-Men know that there is mutant activity that has happened yeah. here. Though these kids are not mutant. They are not mutant, which I think is a great twist. Mm -hmm. um, so these non-mutants are being affected kind of long term by whatever is happening. Um, and after that, what this book does is it sets us up for... I think what is going to come. So it reintroduces us to kind of the current X team, which I like. X teams. X teams. Yeah, there are yep. many of them. Mm -hmm. um, but I had forgotten that like Sabretooth is an X Men now, which is crazy to me. It's super weird. It's super weird, but it's done really well. And so um, they set they they kind of set up what is the current state of the X Men. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a really fun thing to do. Um, and as we go through that, we are setting up a, a giant phoenix comes into the sky. But it's not like the 90s, 80s, 90s, like there's a big phoenix in space. Maybe the phoenix is coming. We're not sure. Mm -hmm. But we just get a little glimpse of what Jean Grey is doing in her life right now. And it has nothing to do with the X-Men. When was the last time we saw Jean Grey? It depends on which... This is some X-Men-y X-Men shit. <laughs> it depends on which Jean Grey you're talking about. And we're not going to get into that. Jean Grey from the past that was brought to the future because current Jean Grey is dead not too long ago. Um, I'm not going to get too much into this. I want to say that this is... This book feels like an X-Men book to me. Yes. And I haven't had that in a while. I thought, strangely enough, that this book got you up to speed on kind of modern X-Men without really reading any X-Men books. Yeah, I you totally just, agree. You get to pop in on the, the different X-Teams and you see the lineup and you kind of see what they're doing. They don't tell you a lot, but this is a good uh, primer for, hey, you haven't read X books in a while. Here's where we're at. It, not only does it and catch it you, you up, up for the Phoenix thing. I think it's been better than a lot of the X-Men that I read. The characters felt more believable. I, f I felt like with the last couple runs of X-Men, we've been getting more of the mutant side of, of these characters than we have. The, the What I mean by that is their powers are in the forefront. Mm -hmm. Whereas what I think has always made X-Men really enjoyable is that these mutants, even though they have powers, are people first. Characters yeah. first, yeah. Yeah, and I thought that this book really brought us back to that because I feel like that's been lacking lately. It's a top-tier creative team. Matthew Rosenberg and Francis Yu, I mean, they deliver. Can I, I thought this a, was a nice book. Can I make a confession to you dudes? Yeah. As of late, for the past couple of years, I when somebody says X-Men to me, my first association to that is bad books. I, because it has been a long time since I've read an actually good X-Men book. And I love the X-Men. I grew up on X-Men the Animated Series, and it like it, it makes me feel nostalgic, and I love it for that. Mm -hmm. And But lately I feel like, especially within the past couple of years, they've really been laying into the nostalgia part of it. They've really been going back to the 90s stuff, and it comes back to circling the wagon. Yeah. But this and uh, the other X-Men book that came out last week... Uh, new oh, Grand Design. Grand Design, that's what it Lovely. was. Lovely. Those both are, like, this is the X-Men stuff that we should have had all along. Like, this is the good X-Men stuff that, like, gets you excited not only in a nostalgic way, but also, like, this is the X-Men team that we, we have loved in our minds for so long. And finally they are bringing, like, good writers and good story back to it. And it's not... It's not half-assed. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I will say with this book, 
if this stays good, and I hope it does, yeah. we'll have three good X-Books on the stands. Yeah, that'd be great. You know, so Astonishing, design. Phoenix, and Grand Design. Yeah. That would be really kick-ass. And I think it could have been easy when you're redoing the Phoenix Saga to bring back all of the original characters, your Cyclopses and all yeah. that. But the team-ups in these are the new X-Men teams, and I like that they did that. Domino's in here. Like I said, Sabretooth, Magic. Um, I love Bald Beast. I can't I, help I it. I love Bald it's Beast a good so look. much. He's old. But yeah, check out this book. I think this is the best X-Men book, uh, other than Grand Design, which was wonderful as well. We're finally starting to get some X-Men books that, to me, feel character first. So as a retailer, right, when I was ordering this book, I was groaning. I was groaning because Phoenix, again, spent a lot of Phoenix. Phoenix is back. She's not back. She's back. She's a great character. I love that character. But she's died and come back like the Phoenix. <laughs> So, <laughs> of, so of lore has done. One of my favorite parts of this book is there was a um, there was a run of X Men a while ago where Jubilee became a vampire, like she was bit by a vampire and became one. That's that's Curse of the Mutants is the name of that storyline, yeah. and it is actually my shit. So there is a it. part in this book where she jumps on somebody that's attacking her and she bites it. Like on the neck, and she goes, "Nope, this is this is not a human." It's, which was great because it that, was so funny. It yeah, it's felt pretty like good. Jubilee to me, but it also was I thought a really clever way to like bring you up to speed on this yeah. character without saying like Jubilee has become a vampire. Yeah. It was oh shit, Jubilee just bit someone. Oh, yeah. not a human. Oh, Jubilee's a vampire. She's now. still yeah. a vampire. Yeah, <laughs> which I thought was uh, yeah, and that's what I liked about this book is without looking at you as the reader and saying like this is what's happened in X-Men they let the characters do it through their personality yeah through the yeah. story that's Phoenix Resurrection number one The Return of Jean Grey part one Marvel Legacy check it out if you're an X-Men fan if you're an old school X-Men fan this book felt X-Men-y to me it just great. check it out because of the talent I was gonna say you know as a, as a retailer this is why I ordered this book I was like Phoenix oh I don't care wait it's Matthew Rosenberg Francis you all right care about him. fuck it the talent is what makes a book yeah Agreed. you know good comic good pick Marcus Rachel Polk Hi. what was your big pick for the week my big pick this week was Star Wars the storms of crate this book was dope it was very dope I'm going to preface this by saying this is going to be a bit more of a book review than a book pitch. Do it. Because it's Star Wars. I don't need to sell you on Star Wars. Get into it. Um, so the story of this, it's it's a one-shot. It takes place between episodes four and five. The Death Star has been destroyed, and now Leia, Luke, and Han have to find a new base for the Rebel Alliance. So they go to the planet of Krayt, which you- Krayt? Krayat? Krayat? Krayat, I think is how you say Maybe. it, actually. C-R-A-I-T. Um, you know this planet. If you have seen The Last Jedi, the most recent movie to come out, it is the salty red planet. You know, with the one dude who picks up some things, puts it in his mouth, and says, salt. Um, they are trying, they're hoping to turn the mines on this planet into a stronghold. It's going to be the new rebel base. Yeah, and uh, it doesn't work out that way. So f the first thing that you notice when you open this book is the art. It is Beautiful. Mike Mayhew is it the artist like on this book. It looks like the movie. It looks so freaking good. Like I, it's so realistic to these characters that I was shocked. Yes. So that is a positive and a negative to me. Like I said, this is going to be a bit more of a review. Um, the art is absolutely stunning. It's absolutely gorgeous. But I can very much tell that it, like, it, it almost looks traced. Oh. That's how good the faces look. It like... It, for instance, Leia, in most panels, it's very clearly 
Carrie Fisher. Man, it's so Carrie Fisher. It is so Carrie Fisher. And then there are some panels where it just barely looks like Carrie Fisher at all, which you can kind of see as like a, you know, there was no photo reference for that one. They mm. had to wing it. Um, and, and Han, like the Han in this book looks looks totally Harrison Ford. It is awesome. It's a beautiful book, um, but sometimes the faces took me out of it. Luke comes and goes the most of all three for me. I, I agree. agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they, uh, they're going to this planet to check out the, the mines to see if it will work as a stronghold. And we get to explore the... Um, we get to explore the planet a little bit more. Um, With the original trilogy's characters. Yeah. Which is cool. I thought that was yeah. really rad because, you know, you, the new movie, you're there. But this is yes. before that with, with the ori- the characters we originally know. Which is pretty cool, which yeah. I like a little bit. Um, I What I have to say, I, I loved the writing in this book because the dialogue in it, I, I heard the actors' voices throughout this whole thing. That's, like, it, it felt like a continuation of Leia, Luke, and Han. And this is Ben Acker and Ben Blacker? Correct. Doing this one? Got it. Yes. They they write this together uh, with artist Mike Mayhew. Um, another, what I wish Marvel would do a little bit more, especially in their Star Wars books, is they have almost no sound effects. Uh, you which, love onomatopoeias. I love onomatopoeias. There are, there's like three... And I will say that there's a lightsaber fight in this. I'm not going to tell you who it's between, but there's a lightsaber fight, and I was just rolling my eyes the whole time. You needed some fjounfs and some count. It's not just because of the sound effects. Like, yes, you need to have sound effects. That's what makes a lightsaber. Like, exactly the the sounds that you just did, we associate those with lightsabers. But it was also, like, it it felt like it was thrown in there to just be, like, uh... You know, this is what Star Wars means. Star Wars means lightsabers. I also think that we can move past sexy Leia. I overly love to move past over, sexy overly Leia. sexy Leia. Was she sexy in this? Yeah, because oh, like yeah. when Leia is in Hoth in the movie, she's got like a big down jacket on. Mm-hmm. Leia in this is like in a zip up one. No, she's got a corset. Yeah, and she's got a corset. It's oh, like, fuck off! Like, yeah, we can just let's just. As a comic industry, let's move past sexy Leia. We yeah. don't need it anymore. Leia's a badass. Everyone knows Leia's a badass. Move on. Yeah. No more sexy outfits for Leia. That being said, this this one shot had some it was it was Star Wars as fuck. It was great. It had uh some some speeder races, it had lightsabers, it had lasers. Uh it had some things that I'd I'd like Comic books are not movies. We should not compare them to the movies all the time. Sometimes that's great, but I'd like to see them pull away a little bit and be more individual. Um, I felt like this was a little bit too traced, if that makes sense. Um, and I, you know, sound sound is important to me. Yeah, it, and it, it fleshes out the universe. And doing a book like this is kind of tough, right? Because yeah. it's in between things we know. So yes. you're like filling in a hole that that happened off camera between movies we've seen on either side of it. Yeah. So that's and, always tricky. And I will just say, especially with the Last Jedi that just came out. Star Wars fans are, you, you just can't please them. You're never going to make everybody happy. So, you know, maybe I was one of the people that that wasn't satisfied, but... But overall, you did dig this book. Overall, I yeah. think this is a great book that honestly, like, if you have, like, a child that is super into Star Wars, they could also totally read that book. It is completely accessible to anybody. Somebody who just went and saw Last Jedi would Absolutely. dig this book. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a one shot. It's yep. meant to be accessible from beginning to end and it doesn't continue anywhere. Yeah, it was great. So uh, 
That's Star Wars, The Storms of Krayat by Ben Acker, Ben Blacker, and Mike Mayhew, distributed by Marvel Comics. Check it out. Worth it. Good shit. Welcome to the Taser Zone. It is the Taser Zone. Taser, Taser, Taser. Um, gentlemen, what is the Taser? And the Taser is a changing thing. It is. Right? Yes. The, ta- the Taser is an enigma. Be, it's an enigma. This week we are going to go through the new previews. Previews are the catalogs of items to come, of comics to be, and let you know what are some books that we think you should talk to your retailers about and get on that pre-order, so, or else they may be missed. Yes. So why why do we talk about previews? We say all the time on this podcast and in person, pre-ordering helps your comic shop. But what does that really mean? Yeah, it's a silly system. We talk about how dumb it is. <laughs> comic shop owners or the folks who order the books at all these shops get this magazine every month. It's giant. It's like 700 pages. Ridiculous. Of all the comic books that are coming out. And they're trying to predict the future. They're, we're ordering comic books three months in the future. Mm-hmm. In three months, I'm going to need 14 of this comic. I'm going to need 29 of this comic book. How could you possibly know that? Because you're an expert. You're a master of your craft. But you need help. So... We are here to talk about some of the gems that we found. We we did the hard work for you, the listener. We have we have taken the time to go through this 700-page beast and pick out the gems and pick out what we think is going to be the best. But before we get into the taser, mm-hmm. we're going to do a little teaser. What? It's the teaser. A taser teaser? A taser teaser. Uh, this is actually a question from a gentleman named Eric. Eric says, Los Tres Amigos. Why is Marvel not featured in the previews magazines? There's got to be a story to this. Because of politics, Eric. It's pop. It's politics, obviously. So we should say, previews magazine, that 700-page book, it includes all the publishers except for Marvel and Image. They have their own little tiny magazines. Well, Image is represented in previews magazine. They are. Represented. Mar- Marvel is the only company to be essentially completely They are out. not in there. Yeah. Yeah. So you yeah. have to buy a separate magazine to see all of the Marvel's previews. It's weirdly called the Marvel previews. How interesting. So, Curtis, yes? why are they separate? Oh, I love this story. So, right when we were opening back in 1996 as a comic book store, Marvel had just decided they were going to break away and distribute themselves. They acquired another distributor called Heroes World. Mm-hmm. And they were going to do their own distributing. They were going to make the comics. They were going to distribute the comics. And then some thought that their evil plan was to find out where they were selling the most comics and then open their own comic book stores in an evil plot to run every aspect of the comic book business. That might be true, actually. Yeah. Now I'm like thinking about that in 2017, 2018. Mm-hmm. I wish that they had followed through. Anyway, please continue. So what happened was it all went arse over tit and fell apart. Comics were in the the pooper. Sales the bubble were, popped. The bubble popped. Sales were low. Heroes World went bankrupt. Marvel had to come crawling back to Diamond. I bet that burned. I bet it, I yeah. bet it burned like hot piss. Those guys crawling back, groveling. Please, can we get in previews? But previews said no. You're going to have to have your own little previews and you pay for it. <laughs> you can't. There's a pretty big negative implication to being out of previews. Yeah. And that is is that every comic shop orders out of previews. Yes. So if you're not in there, you are, I mean, you are physically an afterthought. 
Correct. To the major previews. Mm-hmm. It is a huge burn to the industry. Even though you are one of the big two. Right. Yeah, we didn't sell Marvel Comics when we opened up because they were self-distributed and we couldn't meet their minimum. So it was a huge financial blow to us as a comic book store. It was very difficult. I've read, Curtis used to put out some newsletters back in the day that I have, through my archival investigation, have come across, and they are delicious in his <laughs> his venom for Marvel we Comics. We talked some shit. Back in the day. Well, yeah. so we, like I said, we did the hard part, and we went through previews. We went through both of them, and we picked out what we think is going to be hot in three months, and what we think would be... Um, Something that you should look into when it comes out. And I say that we start with Marvel. Let's do it. Gentlemen. Marcus, would you like to go first? Absolutely. I really recommend that everyone uh, make sure to check out Amazing Spider-Man number 797. That's not a number one. It's certainly not, but it is going down swinging part one. There's this guy. His name's Dan Slott. He's been writing Spider-Man for about 10 years um, and I think he's written some of the best Spider-Man stories we've ever I'm seen. I'm going to back you up. He's one of my all-time favorite spider writers. His crown gem for me was the Spider-Verse series. Fabulous. It's I love it so much. Um, and I expect that for his, his final part on this run of Spider-Man, he's going to go down swinging. So, <laughs> if you are a fan of the, Spar- the Scarlet Webster, uh, please make sure that you check out Amazing Spider-Man number 797, Going Down Swinging Part 1. I also anticipate that this book will become a collector's. Like, the collectors are going to want this book for resale value or collectability. Yeah. So air So, air quotes, right. Shops may run out of them quickly, so make sure to put yeah. one on pre-order. So, this is going to be iconic because Dan Slott's been writing this for so long. Like, he is he's currently the longest... He to is. write any longer than Stanley, longer yeah. than anybody. Yeah, he he owns Spider Man now. It belongs to him. So this is going to be the wrap up, and I hope that he moves on to wonderful things because I love Dan Slott. He's uh, five bucks says he's going to DC. Anyway, we're gonna move <laughs> on. Um, Rachel, what was your pick for Marvel? I picked Punisher: The Platoon, the trade paperback. Uh, this is Garth Ennis and Goran Pavlov. They uh. It's currently ongoing. Like, it's currently coming out, but this trade paperback is going to collect all six issues, and it's just going to be one fat graphic novel of wonderful, gooey punisherness. Uh, it's Frank Castle getting his start in Vietnam. It's kind of like an alternate universe. Holy shit. Some of the best things it's Marvel is so doing. Good. Like, this is this is dark Punisher. Like, this comes back to the Marvel Max stuff. It is so good. This trade paperback is going to be the full collection of it. And just, if you like Punisher, if you liked the Netflix series that came out, if you want more of, like, Punisher being an asshole. If you just want more, like, a good war comic. I would even give this to people like, hey, I need a sweet war comic. Bang, check this out. Ready for my weird recommendation? Yeah. If you like Ken Burns documentaries, such as Civil War or Or Vietnam Vietnam or baseball or jazz... You will like Punisher the Platoon. You it's absolutely spot will. Spot on. Man, I wonder if if they're friends in real life. Punisher Ken- and... <laughs> and uh, no, if Garth Ennis and Ken Burns are friends. Oh, I bet you they are. Oh, that'd be awesome. Anyway, let's move on to DC. Let's do it. 
So for DC Comics, I'm going to pick uh, The DC Universe by Brian K. Vaughn. Who's Brian K. Vaughn? This comes out in April, by the way. Brian K. Vaughn is a prolific writer who wrote is, and is currently writing the book Saga. Saga, I've often heard say, is the comic book that will define the current generation of comic book readers. It was responsible for bringing just an army of people into comic books. But before all of that soggy goodness, and it part of it during, correct me if I'm wrong, Curtis. I think you're right. Um, Brian K. Vaughn wrote a number of snippets over at DC Comics, and they're finally all getting collected into one hardcover. And I, I, I think this is interesting. Um, Brian K. Vaughn doesn't do superhero books anymore, really. He doesn't do work for hire, even. Yeah, he, he just, just does, does his stuff. shit. Yeah. Um, I'm Brian K. Vaughn, and I can do whatever I want. Exactly. Thank you, and good night. Um, I think this is going to be a really interesting read for those people who like Saga, have read Saga, are reading Saga, to see where Brian K. Vaughn got his origins. Also, this stuff hasn't been available for a grip. Like, his, his work at DC is not openly published. So, check it out. It's going to be great. $20. All right. Nice pick. I can't wait for that. I'm, I'm going to pick Young Animal. They're doing a little relaunch over Young at Young Animal. Young Animal is not, is not a book. Though. It's not a book. No. It's an imprint. Yeah. It's by Brian. You can't, you cannot choose a full imprint. I That's can. That's not fair. I'm going to do it. Okay. And it's not by Brian K. Vaughn. It's not, no. It, it's by Gerard Way, lead singer of My Chemical Romance, but and, also- And your, your bromance? I'm, a, I'm a, in yeah. huge bro love with this guy. <laughs> He was an intern at DC, he's a huge nerd, he writes really, really great comic books. He did a book called Umbrella Academy, that was the first thing I ever read from this dude, which is getting turned into a Netflix show coming up. Yeah. Anywho, he launched an imprint over at DC about a year and a half ago called Young Animal, and he relaunched Doom Patrol, which is fabulous. He brought out some new characters, Mother Panic, and he introduced Shade the Changing Girl, which is a take on an old... Vertigo comics, Shade the Changing Man. And they're going to relaunch a lot of these characters with new titles. Yeah, so it's going to be Shade the Changing Woman. Yes. Yeah. And Eternity Girl and Mother Panic Gotham AD. So we're going to get a relaunch and, and a re, not a reboot, but a new story arc for all these mm -hmm. characters. The next chapter, if you will. And I got to say, Young Animal, it's for your Vertigo readers out there. Yeah. People who like Sandman, people who liked... Garth Ennis in the 90s, his Vertigo stuff, Punisher, or excuse me, Preacher, these kind yeah. of books, weirder books, more esoteric. Check out Young Animal. Cave Carson has an interstellar eye, is the relaunch of Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye. Mm -hmm. I know that's a mouthful. Those comics are weird and a lot of fun. So, so. which one do you think you're most excited about? That's a good question. I'm going to pick Cave Carson. Yeah? Yeah. I just think it's such a weird character, and the artist Mike Oming is extremely f cartoonish but expressive, and I love it. Yes. You know, think you're Mike Allred or, you know, even, you know, a distant relative of Jack Kirby. So I'm going to take the spotlight now. Give it to me. Please have I'm it. I'm going to, to move on to Dark Horse. My um, the thing that stuck out for me most from the Dark Horse previews was Doctor Star and the Kingdom of Lost Tomorrows. It's a great name, good it's title, an awesome name. And who wants to take a guess as to who the writer is? Mm, Tim Jeff Lemire. Okay, not Tim Jeff Lemire. Um, this is a new story that is set in the world of Black Hammer. Black Hammer has been an ongoing comic for the past two years. Yeah, we're at 13 issues. Yeah. It is just such a good superhero, crime, weird, psychedelic book. 
Everything about it is wonderful. It's like a Silver Age independent superhero comic. Yeah. Yeah, where there, there's all these superheroes that are stuck on a farm and they can't age and time just kind of feels like it's stopped. It's super weird and it's super, super fun. So this new this new series, Doctor Star in the Kingdom of the Lost Tomorrows, which is also a mouthful, is going to be the new series that is set in Black Hammer. Um, it's about an aged crime fighter who desperately wants to reconnect with his estranged son. Um and he's hoping that he will take on the mantle of Dr. Star, who is himself a superhero. And it's it takes place during World War II. It has a bit about how he got his powers. It sounds and looks awesome. There's some preview pictures of the artwork online, and it is gorgeous. I just i am so happy that Black Hammer has expanded into like this mini little universe. Yes. It's one of the coolest books out there. Jeff Lemire can write his ass off. All the artists working on this book are top notch. This is Max Fiumara doing mm-hmm. the art on this, who did Four Eyes for Image a few years oh, ago. Yeah. This dude can draw so good. so good. Check it out. I'm so hyped for this book. Mm-hmm. Good pick. Let me ask you dudes a question. Yeah. Do you, did you get a hundred dollars? You got a spare hundred dollars? Oh, I keep after it in my the shoe. Holidays, you yeah. keep a hundred bucks in your shoe. <laughs> Well, here's my recommendation. I think you should go and you should pre-order Lone Wolf and Cub, the gallery edition hardcover that's coming out from Dark Horse. It's coming out in late May. It's 100 Bones. Lone Wolf and Cub changed my view on manga. It changed my view of what manga could be. It is not only one of the best pieces of manga I've ever read. I would argue it's one of the best pieces of literature I have ever read. Now they are releasing pages from the artist in his original large format in a giant collectible monster tome. This is going to be the hotness. So the the artist, Goseki Kojima, yes. worked, he painted all of these comics with a brush. He is... In, with squid ink. This dude is holy shit. He's the, he's the best. Yep. He, this book is going to be... Like when I say the hotness, like I'm talking about people who don't have never read Lone Wolf and Cub are going to be buying this book because the art alone is uh, as it's blowing my mind to even think about what they look like as individual pieces because that's how they make manga. You paint a giant page, shrink it down, and you shrink it down, and you do another one, you shrink it down. So just to think about what these are going to be like in giant format, I'm going to order mine immediately. Everyone should order this book. This artist will change. Your world. It is. It is a book of amazing art first, and it is overlaid with just this beautiful, life-changing story. Please check out this book. I'm gonna ruin that wonderful stream of words you just said and move on to horror comics. Please. <laughs> um, Image is has announced their new series called Infidel. This is gonna be a new horror book. I love horror books. This looks hoary as fuck and feels very similar to. Scott Snyder's Witches that came out a couple years ago with Jacques. This is, I'm going to just butcher this name. This is going to be terrible, and I'm just going to apologize to the world right now. Pornsik Pichichote. Wow, I, I think you nailed it. Cool. I hope you did. Sounded good. That's the writer, uh, and the artist is Aaron Campbell. This series will, it's going to be very different. I can't say that I personally have ever seen a book that has a premise similar to this at all. It is about a haunted house that follows the main character is an American Muslim woman and her multi-ethnic neighbors. And there's a 
building that is haunted by a creature that feeds on xenophobia. So it follows a lot of Islamophobia and all that stuff. It It's a very weird premise for a book. Never heard that one before. And holy Sounds shit, cool. does it look cool. Aaron Campbell can draw. Like, this, uh, like they're, again, there are previews of this online, and you should go take a look at it. If you, like, like I said, though, this feels like witches to me, or maybe even Harrow County. Like, those are the two staple of horror books for me in the past, like, five years. And I'm very, 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 very excited for this. Looks really good. Art looks super clean, very solid, very dark. Yes. I want to talk about something that comes out in small press. It is called the Overstreet Comic Book Price Guide. This will be volume 47. Doesn't that sound riveting? Marcus? It's just a book full of comic books and their prices. Why in the world would I care about this book? I think it's two reasons. One, I think people should know what their stuff is worth. And the other thing is I trust Overstreet more than I trust the internet. Hands down. No, <laughs> seriously, no, no seriously, question. As someone yeah. who used to work, as someone who would price back issues, price older comics and price newer comics, I trust Overstreet. They do their homework. They are the definitive price guide for me. So when I have people come in and say like, I have this comic book, how much are you willing to give for it? And I tell them the amount I'm willing to pay them for it. They say, no, the internet says it's worth $400. The internet's wrong. Overstreet yeah. is right. So I think that it's cool. We have a lot of people who are getting into like the collectability of comics. Mm -hmm. Don't listen to the internet. Listen to the Overstreet Comic Price Book Guide. Also, if it's you based on sales, on reputable sales. Yeah. It's not sometimes a, a book will, its value will explode for some minute for something, and you're going to overpay for you know New Mutants ninety eight when Deadpool comes out. First appearance of Deadpool is just going to happen. Then that price is going to calm back down and go be more reasonable. So Overstreet's right, internet wrong. Agreed. And know what your comics are worth if you're into collecting them. Also, I think it will help people curb the fever. That is like, I have to go out and buy these back issues because these back issues are going to be worth so much. I'm yeah. going to be able to sell them. Here's my, for that that person, go get the Overstreet book. It's $30. Look at variant covers that came out three years ago in the Overstreet price guide. They're not worth, they're, they're worth bologna. They're worth a bologna sandwich is what they're worth. So I do love a good bologna sandwich. I but I you. have like 40 foil covers. Those should be worth like $80, right? I think people should know what their comic book collections are worth. I think it's important to ensure your comic book collection if you're into big time collecting. Mm -hmm. And I think the Overstreet Price Guide is the best way to know what comics are, are after. I think back issue picking is the best part about comic books. It's <laughs> pretty cool. Going to shops, picking back issues, looking for old runs. I think it's great. You know what my favorite thing about Overstreet's is? What's that? It tells you all these key moments in comic book history. Absolutely. All these little details that are in random issues of comics that you never knew. Issue 200 and whatever of some book. First appearance of Man Bat. Yes, I love that stuff. I do too. So, you know, it'll get you, it'll make you a better collector. Absolutely. That's the thing. Absolutely. Hmm. So that is the Overstreet Comic Book Price Guide, Volume 47, coming out soon. And, and deep now, deep into previews, I would like to throw a shout out to Vampironica, number one from that's Archie an, Comics. That's an amazing title. Are you ready for this? Yes. Veronica gets bitten by a vampire? Veronica of the famed series Archie. Yes, Veronica Lodge. Ah. Yes, she's now a vampire. This is part of Archie's horror line, which we've talked about ad nauseum. I love it so we much. We <laughs> love Afterlife with Archie, the Jughead. The Hunger. The Hunger, holy shit, great book. 
Here's the thing about Archie's horror. It's real. It's real deal horror. Yeah. Some of the best horror, some of the most fun comics that are coming out. So we've had Jughead, which he's a werewolf. Correct. We've had Afterlife with with Archie, which is zombies. The Riverdale gang versus zombies. Yes. Yep. And what else have we had? Sabrina. S- the, the- and also in Jughead the Hunger, we have the side story, which is about um, Betty who is part of the werewolf hunting clan. This ancient clan oh, of awesome. werewolf hunters. Of, uh, werewolf hunters. Mm-hmm. So, so we've had so we've had zombies, we've had werewolves, we've had witches, and now we're getting vampires. Yes. This is sweet. It's the obvious and perfect next step for Archie Horror. Give it a look, and it's easy to sleep on these books as some cash in on, you know, when Afterlife with Archie came out, we all thought, oh, zombies are hot, and they're just going to smash in Archie with zombies because everybody loves zombies. Mm-hmm. It's some of the best stuff out there. So who is, uh, Who's writing this one? This is Greg and Megan Smallwood, and they are uh, Greg's doing the interior art as well. So it's okay. a husband and wife team doing the whole thing. Oh, I love that. That's pretty cute. <laughs> Last thing we want to talk about that was in previews is at the end of every previews, they have all the toys and and paraphernalia that you could ever want and and posters and so cups good. and it's pillows my, it's and... my favorite part you can get anything in the previews guide is um they have announced that they are releasing the mighty morphin power rangers legacy zords yeah! the zords are the creatures that the power rangers would jump into and then all the zords would transform and turn into one big zord i used to have these when i was a kid and i am sure that at some point they got sold in a garage sale or something. But all of the ones that I have seen thus far are like die-cast metal super collector series, mm-hmm. like $175 a pop. They are releasing the Zords, as I remember them, as a kid, that are plastic and they transform. They're going to run 30 to $40. Um, and I will pay it. And I will pay it. I will shove money at them. To, to finally have an accessible original Zord system again, I think it's very, very cool. I am most excited for the God of War 1 to 1 scale prop replica. For a measly $1,400, I can have a six and a half foot tall Kratos in my living room. I That's thought you crazy. already had one of those. Oh, I, you're right. Is he in your bedroom? He's from God of War 3, though. This uh, is from the new God of War. Sorry. So. He has his bed is flanked on all four points <laughs> by <laughs> different versions. Kratos. Oh, yes. Oh, man, you need to make your bed out of them. Like, replace your bed posts with multiple statues. And just lay on Kratos. Yeah, it's like, statues. you know, what are those dudes called that hold the throne over their shoulders and they walk around? Throne Slaves. Dudes. Throne dudes. <laughs> throne dudes. Yeah, throne dudes. Throne dudes, yeah. You need to have one of those. Absolutely. So. Well, there it is. Uh, and there's so much more in yeah. reviews. There's 700 pages of goodies. Stop at your local comic shop. Talk to the people who order these books. Yeah. They will hook you up. Yeah, dude. And Previews. Dudes. Dids. Duds, duds, duds. Well, gentlemen, I think we, we should leave. Another time has gone by. Yeah, we should stop bombarding people's ears. Thanks for so. joining us today, Rachel. Yeah, thank you for having me on. This it was, was a lot of fun. a pleasure for you to join us. Yeah, it's going to be, you know, I'm not going to talk to you guys until next year, so, you know. It's true. Well, thank you for joining us. This has been Super Skull. Your producer and editor is me. My name is Rachel Polk. Our music was created by A-Bomb. Super Skull is recorded every week at the Ann Arbor District Library. Please subscribe, download, and review the Super Skull show on iTunes, also on Stitcher. Yes, please give us those reviews because they help us out a lot because nobody knows how iTunes work, and it's the way that uh, people discover us. Don't forget to also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and our website, Super Skull Show, is how you find us. Super Skull is brought to you by Vault of Midnight, Earth's finest comic books and stuff and podcasts since 1996. My name is Rachel Polk. I'm Marcus Schwimmer. And I am Nick Weibar. No, I'm just kidding. I'm Curtis Sullivan. And we wish you good reading. Until next week. 
I want to make in 2018. Mm-hmm. I want to make the perfect stack of flapjacks. Oh, like I want them to be picture perfect. Mm-hmm. I want them to be slightly crunchy on the outside. Up your flapjack game. I want them to be perfectly soft on the inside. And when I pour syrup on them, I don't want it to just soak in. I want the syrup to flow over all the sides. Like a like a volcano. And these are buttermilk pancakes. Who knows? I don't. I'm gonna have to make so many different kinds of pancakes. Oh, okay. You're gonna get into it. Have you seen the Japanese pancakes that are like huge giant and fluffy? And fl- what no. makes them so fluffy? Baking soda? It must I don't be. know. It must be.